He's the responsibility of being a disciple. We've got a couple more weeks. And I want to tell you, this has been probably one of the best series that we've done in a long time because it's given feet to our faith. And I pray that you would go back and watch if you haven't, or maybe you're just tuning in with us for the very first time. All the messages are archived. And this has been such a great series for those that are ready to take steps in their faith. You know, discipleship is a process. And every one of us are in a different place in our journey with the Lord. And I just want to encourage you, whatever your next step is, take it. I celebrate with all those that were baptized today and those that we're going to baptize in the second service. They were making a decision to say, I want to take my next step, my next step in my walk with the Lord. And last week, pastor kicked this off with a message called a bold witness. Talked about the importance and the responsibility of being a disciple is that we're bold everywhere we go, that we're salt and light, that we understand that we've been placed in our communities on purpose. You know, you don't just live in the house you live on by accident. God's placed you there on purpose. Your kids aren't in the school that they're in just by accident. They are there as ambassadors for Christ. And the responsibility of a disciple is that we live bold lives for Jesus, letting everybody everywhere we know who we are and who he is. Amen. I thought that'd get a better amen this morning. Today, I want to talk about the second responsibility of a disciple, and that is disciples are responsible for engaging in biblical community. You know, there's a responsibility not to just come to church, but to engage in church. You know, believers come to church, but disciples engage with others within the body. You know, technology has made um, relationships kind of funky, we, we, we have a different view of relationships now in 2021 than our parents or grandparents did in the 1960s and 1970s, even the 80s. Friendship is totally different. If you asked your grandparents, you know, who, who are your friends? They would list like three people, three close friends that they do life with. You ask a, a millennial today, like, hey, who are your friends? They say, man, I got thousands of friends. Right? Oh man, I got so many friends, man. I, I, got, I, got, I got more friends than I know what to do with. But if you ask them specifically about any of those friends, they probably don't know that much about them. Friendship has now been stretched to the place where it's just a casual word of, oh yeah, I got friends. And when you ask somebody, well, who do you spend time with? They say, well, I spend time with all kinds of people on Facebook. I, I think it's funny because when we talk about relationships now, when we talk about influence, the word influence has totally changed. Decades ago, when you talked about influencing somebody, that meant a, a direct correlation of you spent time with them, you invested in them, you poured into them. Today, when you talk about influence, it's not about influencing as much as it is about followership. When you ask somebody, who are you investing in? Who are you mentoring? Who are you coaching? They say, man, I got, I got 100,000 followers on Twitter, but we don't know any of them. I've got 10,000 followers on Instagram, but all it is is likes and hearts and there's no true engagement. It's time for the body of Christ to understand that, that the plan of God was for us to face-to-face -to -face interact, not just socially network through the internet. You have to understand that sometimes there, there becomes a, a disguise for what God wanted to do and the devil tries to rip it off and pawn it off as if that's really happening. 
And I want to challenge you in this season as we become more of a disciple than we were yesterday, that we take efforts to engage with people on a more personal level than we did yesterday or the months before. Let me ask you this about your friends. What do you really know about them? What about those that you do life with? How deep does that relationship really go? True engagement means doing life and doing something with somebody else, alongside somebody else, working together. That was God's plan from the beginning, that we would do life together, helping each other grow and mature in our faith. It's found in Jesus Christ. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 10. Paul says it this way. He says out of the passion, he says, this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. I hope those that are watching online, you're, you're home because you can't be here and it just hasn't become a habit of staying home and watching from somewhere else. There's something that happens when we gather together under the anointing of Jesus Christ, worship him, study him, and grow together. I love technology and I'm grateful for it, but it's not a replacement for us gathering together in person, growing together and getting to know each other. He says, this is not a time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate the day dawning. Today, I want to talk about what does it mean to engage in biblical community? What does biblical community look like? I like to define it this way. Biblical community is a group of people. Look around, that's us. Look around, that's you at your home with your family. A group of people leading a common life according to guiding principles and common interest. Biblical community is a group that has made the word the foundation for their lives, and we choose to do it together. Are you guys awake today? Maybe second service will be a little bit more responsive. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we find the model of what a biblical community looks like. And if you study the book of Acts, you'll find that there was a group that gathered together. They were instructed by Jesus to go and wait he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to empower you. He's going to give you power to be witnesses. And the Bible says that the Holy Ghost did. He showed up on them and they left that room and they began to go out in the streets and they were speaking in other tongues and all kinds of people gathered together to see what was happening. And the Bible says that Peter got up and was kind of trying to clarify some things. He said, hey, hey, calm down, everybody. They're not drunk. They're just filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in a moment he began to preach the gospel, Jesus died and he was raised. And the Bible says that 3,000 people after that outpouring happened, they gave their hearts to the Lord. They received Jesus and decided, I want to be a disciple of this risen Messiah. In Acts chapter 2, 42, we find them, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles, to teaching and to fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. To breaking bread. When was the last time you had a meal with some believers? And to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44 says, All the believers together had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another who had need. 
And every day they continued, everybody say continued, continued, they continued to meet together. Listen, you, you got to have a desire to, to, to go somewhere in a relationship if you continue to meet together every day. Some of us have got to ask the Holy Spirit for a divine desire to want to connect with others. Because society's telling you, stay at home. Be by yourself. Don't trust anybody. And the Holy Spirit is actually saying the opposite. Go engage. Go meet some people. Eat some food. Pray together so you can do what you're called to do. Listen to this. It said, every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. When you decide to go from a believer to a disciple, you've made the decision to align yourself with a new group of people who have the same guiding principles in their lives that you want in your life. I want to read this to you as, as, as a declaration today and kind of as a, um, if you know me, I kind of like to step on toes sometimes. So this is my step on your toes moment and then I'll retract and we'll have some fun, okay? Listen to this. Many times people remain believers and they fail to become disciples. It's because they're still yoked up to their previous relationships. They may show up in church and sing the songs, but their deepest loyalties haven't changed. For they keep listening to the same people, so they keep living by the same principles as before. For many people, the barrier of believership to discipleship comes down to this, the company that they keep. It's hard to move forward in a relationship with God when the ones you're running with all day are going the other way. It will be very difficult to establish godly principles and foundations in your life if the group of people that you run with with the majority of your time don't have those same beliefs. At some point when you come from, man, I received Jesus to I want to be a disciple, you'll have to let go of some folks and say, I love you. Man, you're awesome, but I, I got to go on. I got to answer the call of my life. I have to fulfill my purpose. For a lot of us, this is the decision that keeps us from fulfilling the plan that God ordained before you were even born. It's we become people pleasers. We're more worried about what people will say as we step forward so we just stay connected to them because we don't want to hurt their feelings. Or better yet, we stay connected to those same folks because it's so comfortable and this is going to be hard. I can look back in my life at the times that I had great progress in my relationship with God. The times where there was definitely lines of demarcation where I took another step and said, you know what, this isn't good enough. There's, there's got to be more. Every single time in my past when I looked through those seasons, there was people and company of people that I had to let go of and I had to step away from. The disciples here said that they began to gather together with those that received Christ and those that were willing to go forward. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. Where is the majority of your time being spent? When you think about the relationships that you do have, let me ask you this. Are they moving in the same direction you are? Do they speak the same lingo that you do? Do they have the same convictions in their heart? And are they pursuing at the pace that you want to run with Jesus? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 
in verse 14, he says, don't continue to team up with unbelievers in a mismatched alliance. For what partnership is there between righteousness and rebellion? The Message Bible says it very clearly. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. You know, those that are pursuing discipleship understand that they are only as strong as their closest human connections. That's the reason they're disciples. They've come out from everybody else and said, I'm choosing the the path less traveled. I'm willing to go upstream. I'm willing to go away from those things that I'm comfortable with and pursue something that my heart is pulling me towards. My grandmother used to say it this way. She'd say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Let me ask you a question. Are you happy with where you are in life? Have you just settled for this is good enough or this must be the can that I was dealt? These are, this, is just the, this is just my plot in life. Let me tell you, that's not how it works in the kingdom. There's always another group of people that can take you further. There's always somebody that's closer to God than you are. There's always somebody that can help take you from where you're stuck up to the mountaintop to where you can see greatness. For some of us, it's just a simple shift of our community and saying, you know what? I used to spend so much time with these people, but I'm nervous and and it may be tough, but I know that my greatness will be refined when I find a new tribe. This is biblical community. When I look at my life and I go back and inspect and I challenge you to do this even in your own life over the next few weeks as we wrap this series up, look at your life and find out where did I take steps? One of the steps that I said earlier, and I'm still kind of thinking about this even as I preach, when I decided to take another step, I had to shift from passively hanging out with people I was comfortable with to aggressively pursuing godly relationships that forced me to grow spiritually. I'll just say it very clearly, and I've said it to you, and pastor's been preaching it to you. There's nothing comfortable about discipleship. There's a price that comes with being a disciple, and we're talking today, there's a responsibility that comes with being a disciple. There comes a point in people's lives where you can say, I'm just gonna stay comfortable, this is easy, or you can say, you know what, I'm gonna let go of passivity, and I'm gonna be the aggressor. And I'm going to go find what I need in others to take me where I know I'm supposed to be. Amen. Today, I want to give you a couple of lessons that I've learned in my own life, and I believe they would be applicable in your life. I want to give you things that happened to me when I began to engage with biblical community. The first thing that happened in my life when I took that step aggressively to be around godly people who were further in their walk with God than I was is I found value in people. I found value in people. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, then it's important for you to value people the same way that Jesus values them today. You can't be a disciple and have a different perspective on this group of people, that group of people, or those kind of people and pursue him. You have to understand Jesus valued everyone, and so I'm going to have to value everyone. Romans chapter 12 says it this way out of the living Bible. Man, just as there's many parts to your human bodies, so it is with with Christ's body. We're all part of it. And it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we each have a different work to do. So we belong to each other. 
and each needs all the others. God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. You're important. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're significant. Turn back behind you and say, you got a part to play. Every one of us has value. And as you engage in biblical community, you start finding the value of people that you used to judge. When you engage and decide, I'm going away from comfortability and I'm going to aggressively pursue godly relationships, you'll find value in people that you used to think were weird. Because you'll get to know them and you'll find out they're not weird, they're just set free. This isn't in my notes, but I was thinking this morning as I was praying about a guy in Louisiana. I was hired as a youth pastor at this, this mega church, and I was sitting on the front row one of the first Sundays there, and man, during praise and worship, this man got out of his seat from over here, and he began to dance up and down the front of the church. I mean, like dance, dance, not like doing this little shuffle thing. I mean, he was breaking it down from one end to the other, and I was mad. Don't judge me. I was mad. I'm like, what's this clown doing? What's he? What's... He's blocking the worship team. I can't see them singing. He's, he's a distraction. And the longer he danced, the more angry I got. I kept looking at the ushers like, when's somebody going to grab him and sit him down? What's, what kind of church is this? What did I sign up for? And I judged him. Just like you probably would have. And the second time I came back to church that next week, the band struck up and he began shucking, shucking and jiving and dancing. And man, I mean, he was sweating, bro. I mean, his shirt was wet. And I thought, man, this guy's lost his stinking mind. And it wasn't just two or three weeks that I was really distracted during worship that this gentleman, his name was Richie. Richie is dancing around and pastor got up and said, Richie, come up here and tell the people why you're dancing today. And I thought, finally, somebody going to explain this nonsense. <laughs> and Richie got up there and he began to cry and talk about how he was addicted to drugs. He was addicted to alcohol. And 10 years prior to that, he came and the Lord set him free. And he was a nightclub dancer. And he said, Lord, if I could dance out there, I'll dance for you every time the music strikes up in here. <laughs> and I started crying out of judgment, thinking, man, who am I to think that? And then pastor said, many of you don't know this, but Richie runs our bus ministry. He buses in hundreds and hundreds of people every single week that they can hear the gospel for the first time and be set free. Me and Richie became good friends after that because I had a whole new respect for the value on his life and what part he played in the kingdom. Listen, you can judge people from a distance, but until you get engaged with them and know what God's done in their life, you'll never value them. When you engage in biblical community, you see beyond a person's outward appearance and you begin to understand God has a master plan and he understands that everyone is significant. Me and my wife have been really, really blessed over the last 20 years of our life to meet some just incredible people. I look back at all the people that we've had the opportunity to, to, to do ministry with and to meet in ministry and have relationship with, but one of them in this particular part of the message really stuck out to me as I was praying. I had the opportunity, me and my wife, 
Several years ago, several times, we've been able to be a part of a ministry called Life Without Limbs, and it's Mr. Nick Vujicic. And if you know anything about Nick, from the viewing of the first time, you're really taken back. Because Nick was born without any arms, and he was born without any legs. And from the first sight, it's shocking. Like, whoa, I've never seen anybody without arms and legs. And I watched him roll his wheelchair up the stage and then his handler picks him up and set him on a coffee table they had up here and he preached from a coffee table with no arms and no legs. And I began to weep because at first I was judging like, whoa, I don't know how to understand this. And then when he opened his mouth, the love of God poured out of him and I was just a sobbing mess. It was one moment of engagement with Nick Vujicic that changed me to say, I don't ever want to judge anybody again based on what I see and what only I can see through my natural eyes. Because when I first saw him, there was this conflicted idea of who he was and what he could do for the Lord. But when he began to open his mouth, I was so convicted to say, I'm not doing nothing. He's been all over the world preaching the gospel on every news station, on every talk show you can imagine. And he's still charging at life 100%. Let me say this to you. Until you engage with people, you'll never understand the value that Jesus sees in them. You're missing out on the greatest part of being a part of a church. You're missing out on the greatest part of playing your role in respecting and understanding how you're connected to other people. We have a core value here at IFC, and it's number two on our top 10 list. It's this. Everyone is significant says it this on our website and you can check it for yourself. Wherever you're from, whatever your age or background, you are far from ordinary. We value everyone and believe in your potential. Maybe you're here today and you're not connected to a body. Let me just tell you this right now. You're significant. Maybe you don't serve on a dream team and that's okay. Maybe you will soon. Let me just tell you, you have an important role and a gift that belongs in this house. Maybe you've never attended a small group or showed up to an event other than Sunday. Let me invite you to tell you this. You're significant. You have a purpose and we welcome you here. We want you here as part of Christ's body so we can do life together with you. Your significance plays a, a role in our impact. Oh, I wish you'd hear that. Your significance plays a role in what we do in this community. Your gifts and talents play a role in how effective we are in the state, in this region. Your gifts and talents, the things that you think are weird or shortcomings, guess what? Those belong in this house for a purpose, to promote the gospel around the world. Every one of you is significant. Amen. Disciples recognize that everybody's called because Jesus was calling everybody. When Jesus hung on the cross, he didn't just hang on the cross for the rich or just for the poor or just for those that were cultured or uncultured or those that came from a good family or those that didn't come from a good family. He came and died for all of us, making all of us significant. Number two, the second thing I learned when I engaged in biblical community is I learned the importance of being authentic with others. I learned that it's important to be me and just be me. 
Society tells you don't trust anybody. Don't tell anybody your stuff. Hold everything close to your chest because you don't know what they'll do or say and use that against you. So keep everything inside. Don't let people see the real you. Social media's tricked us into only allowing people to see our highlight reels. A few years ago, we did a, a service here about social media and how it plays the importance. And we had a challenge, you know, it was a hashtag struggles, I think it was. And we were talking about how nobody ever posts a picture of bad hair day. <laughs> right? It's always this like windblown hair. It looks like you're in a convertible, like perfect hair day. All the ladies are laughing because you've done it. And all the guys are posting pictures next to the stuff that they own. Like, check out my stuff. Look at this. And we never see what you don't have. We never see the bad hair did. I love it because our pastor, pastor, thank you for being real and authentic. During that series, he posted a selfie on Instagram with his glasses sideways and his hair all jacked up. And he's like, most of you have never seen me this way. And most of us don't want people to see us that way. But biblical community says, man, hey, you just, you just need to love me for me and I'll love you for you. And for most of us, we long to have a relationship with others who we can truly be authentic and be accepted for who we are. When I began to engage in biblical community, I realized that God didn't just create me to do life alone, that he had a tribe for me that I needed and a tribe that needed me. When I began to engage a biblical community, I was given a group of people that I could trust and take my mask off and just be real. I like a pastor in, in Arkansas. His name is Rick Bizette. He's got a book. It's called Be Real because being fake is exhausting. You ever have people over at your house and it's exhausting? You can't wait for them to leave because you're trying to put on the perfect life. We've got guests here with us this weekend. They were at my house, and I'm thinking, we got to vacuum everything. we got to wipe everything down. And as soon as I do, the baby spits up vomit all over the floor. And I'm like, they're on their way. I'm cleaning up, and we're trying to do our hair. Should I put shoes on? Should I not put shoes on? And you're running around trying to impress people. They're really, you ain't going to impress anyways, right? You know what I did? I went upstairs. I took my shoes off, put on my holy jeans. And I just said, this is my house. I'm just going to be me. If they don't like it, that's up to them. We got to get to a place as believers where we love everybody in their mess, how they look without their mask, and just accept them and welcome them. And guess what? When you do that for somebody else, they'll reciprocate. Listen, we all know you ain't got it together. How you know that? Because we ain't got it all together. Every one of us wears a mask at certain times, but when we engage in biblical community, we should find a tribe where we can literally take these masks off and say, I'm smiling under this thing, man. God's been so good to me. Or the opposite, you could take it off and people could say, what's wrong with you? You look upset and say, man, I need some help. I need some prayer, some junk going on right now. I need y'all. That is what biblical community look like in the book of Acts, and that's what God is calling us back to. We need people who get us, who will love us for who we are, and allow us to be transparent about our hopes, our dreams, our fears, and our failures. Most people don't have that because they don't want to engage with others. And the greatest thing that they need is a tribe, and it's the greatest thing that they're rejecting. Listen to James, James chapter five. He says, therefore confess your sins to one another 
and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I can tell you this about IFC. I've been here five years now. And one of the greatest things that I love about IFC is I get to be me. Yesterday, we met with over 50 small group leaders who opened up their lives to be transparent and to share about where they're at in their journey with another group of people. And people were being set free. People are being revived in their energy and their strength. They're, They're meeting the relationship with Jesus to another level. Why is that? We just chose 40 years ago. We're just gonna be us. And I wanna invite you right now, today, whether you've been here one week or or one month or one year or 10 years, will you please just be you? Let us love you for where you are. Take your mask off. Just come in. I say it all the time. Just be family. Family knows we got stuff going on. It's the thing that I think makes IFC so special. Listen to this. You will only grow spiritually to the level that you're open and honest about your hopes, dreams, fears, doubts, and failures. Why is that so true? Because we all need somebody to take us from where we are to where we know we're called to be. Like how Pastor Chris Hodges says it, he said, Jesus brings forgiveness, but it takes people to bring healing. We can find forgiveness in Jesus, but our journey is going to require some healing down the road, and that comes through a biblical community, just like is provided here at IFC through our small groups. Our small groups are the perfect place to find a new tribe. We just ended our small groups this last week, but let me tell you something, man. We've got a bunch of gung-ho, fired-up leaders ready for the fall that want to embrace you and love you right in your mess without your mask. They're committed to help you in your journey with the Lord and said, hey, it's all good. All you need to do is take the next step. You don't have to figure it all out. Our dream teams are a big part of what we do here at IFC. It's a great way to to serve alongside of others and make this place so amazing for people to feel welcomed and loved as they come. And as you engage with others in service, guess what? You find out that your problems aren't so big. Number three, the third thing as I close that I personally found in biblical community is I found accountability. Everybody say accountability. Accountability Accountability for a believer is very important, but it doesn't sound like fun, right? When you hear the word accountability, it kind of like, oh, or is that just me? (laughs) When someone says, hey, you want to join my accountability group? I think, no. Number one, I don't even know you. And that, how long does it last? That sounds like torture. Accountability has normally been synonymous with words like accusation and reprimand. Is that how you feel about it? When it should have all along biblically been linked with words like commitment and responsibility. When I think about accountability... I think about people holding me not responsible for all my choices in a negative way, but what if accountability meant holding people accountable to live out their purpose and to pursue God's highest and best in their everyday life? That group I'll sign up for. Accountability has been used as a legalistic rod to beat people over the head and keep them submitted. 
When true biblical accountability is just making sure that you reach your full potential, that you live up to those hopes and dreams that you shared with us, and that you stay away from those things that you told us ensnared you and tripped you up and held you back. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. When I found biblical community, I found a group of friends who didn't just call me out on my sin. They made sure I followed through with my purpose. In other words, they kept me sharp. Accountability isn't just about keeping you from the devil. It's about people pushing you towards Jesus. Love this. Accountability is not just about making sure you don't slack off. It's about making sure you show up. When you find biblical community, it should be in the context of we want to help you. We see the best in you. We value you. We see your significance. And as we get to know you, we want to help you fulfill everything God has spoken to you. When I talk to people about small groups at IFC, I usually hear people say, I don't have time. It's usually the number one consistent thing. I just don't have time. I'm busy. And I, my response is always the same and always will be, you're too busy then. You can't fulfill your dreams by yourself. You can't fulfill your destiny alone. If it's a God-given destiny or it's a God-given dream because God gave you that dream to be developed in relationship with others. I like how we say it here. You know, at IFC, we have this statement. It's circles are better than rows. Y'all sitting in rows today and there's no accountability here. Not much value going on here because there's, there's not a lot of community happening. You're coming to worship and have a one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. And that's great. That's where it starts. But that's not where it should end. It should end sometime later this week where you gather with some people and they push you a little bit closer to Jesus. And they remind you about your calling. They remind you about your purpose. And they lift you up. That's true accountability. I want to take the last minute or two here and just tell you a little bit of my story. Rebellious pastor's kid. Right here. Sat on the front row my whole life. Every minister that would come through the church had a prophecy for the pastor's kid. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Oh, and I'd say, man, you're nuts. I'm not doing any of that. In fact, as soon as I can get out of here, I'm going to move overseas. I'm going to take my backpack and I'm going to South America and maybe I'll come back, maybe I won't. That was my dream. But I was forced into engagement in the church. You know what forced engagement means? It means you're going whether you like it or not. Even though I was not wanting to go, I met some amazing men in my life. At 15 years old, I met some men at a, at a men's breakfast that we used to hold at the country club and they were playing golf and they said, hey man, do you play golf? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm not very good. And they said, well, you should come play with us. Come join our foursome. And so I met guys to play golf with at these men's breakfasts. And at the men's breakfast, I met some other guys who were into snowboarding, which I was obsessed with for a long time. And I would take trips with these guys to the East Coast, to the West Coast to go snowboarding. And then there was a group of guys that were riding dirt bikes and I was a dirt bike guy. And they'd say, you want to come ride dirt bikes with us? I'd say, well, I don't have any way to get my bike. And they said, well, come pick you up. We got a trailer. And they would load me up and we'd go riding. And 
Year after year went by and I didn't realize what was happening, but spiritual formation was happening in my life. Based on I was hanging out with guys that were further than I was. And as time went on, whitewater rafting and dirt biking and hanging out in tattoo shops, I found guys that I wanted to be like. And through relationship, they saw value in me and I began to see value in them. And so I began to open up and share. I do think there is a call on my life. I'm just scared to death to do it. I, yeah, I, I do want to pursue ministry, but I have all these hangups and these hurts and these habits. And through relationship, man, they begin to speak into my life and hold me accountable to what they could see God had placed in me. That didn't happen in one year. It happened over decades of my parents making sure that biblical community was the number one influence on my life. I want to talk to the parents just for a minute. Your role as a parent is not a friend. It's a responsibility. And you will be held accountable to God the Father who gave you those children for their purpose and destiny. Thank you, Pastor Verna, for that one amen. Your kids probably don't want to come to church. I get it. They don't want to go to school either, do they? And yet, for whatever reason, that becomes the highest priority in our lives that they get an education. And I want to tell you this, it's not the highest priority for your kid to get an education if he dies and goes to hell. It's not the highest priority if your son or daughter misses the perfect plan for their their God-given life. For some of you, you're so set on education being the highest thing and you need to flip it and understand that maybe they're called to do something greater than hang a degree on a wall and clock in somewhere and clock out. Maybe they are the next Billy Graham. Maybe they are the next John claude Noah that's going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying it's time that we re-engage our families in biblical community because we know this defines our destinies. In my worst times, those men that I told you about that I met at 15 and 18 and 22 and 25 and 35 and at 40, at 45, those men are still active in my life. They call me. They still encourage me. They remind me about conversations we had at 15. And I can say this, I'm walking in the destiny that I am because I placed people in my life and I gave them permission to speak into my life. Our pastors are some of those people. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for pushing me. Thank you for holding me accountable. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to grow in our spiritual walk with others. Holy Spirit, help us to see that this isn't something we have to do. It's something we get to do. That it was your divine plan. It was divinely orchestrated for the local church come together to help each other motivate each other to pick each other up when we fall down to find value in each other to draw the best in each other so that as we are the salt and light we know we're not out there by ourselves but there's a whole tribe behind us cheering us on there's a whole group of people that are living life the same way that I am 
with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and right there in your living room or wherever you're watching online, before you can engage in biblical community, you've got to make a decision and say yes to Jesus first. Before you can gather with others and learn and grow, you've got to say, hey, I, I, I've been doing this on my own. I'm making a commitment. I want to be a believer. I want to receive Jesus. I've got plans. I've got desires. I've got things I want to do. But after hearing this today, it sounds like I could do so much more with others. And I want to invite you to join our family today. I'm not asking you to commit to our church. I'm not asking for any of your money. I'm asking for a commitment to Jesus Christ and his plan for your life. And if that's you and you're here today in the building or online, would you just raise your hand up right now? I won't embarrass you. I just want to recognize who I'm praying for. I see you. Yes, ma'am, right here. Welcome to the family. Yes, I see you. Welcome, welcome to the family back here. Yes. Who else would join this and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm ready to, I'm ready to do this. I see you. Yes, ma'am, on the second row. I got you. Anybody else? You say, all the way in the back. Welcome. Welcome to home. Welcome to the family. I see you, sir. Yes, sir. Welcome. Anybody else say, pray for me, pastor. Maybe you're online. Just tell them, say, I'm getting ready to pray that prayer. Put your hand emoji up and let them know our, our prayer team's going to pray with you. Anybody else say, pray for me. I want to I take that next step. I want to accept Jesus. I see you. Yes, ma'am. Welcome home. Welcome to the family. Can we do this together? Whether you've prayed this prayer before, this is your first time and you raised your hand. Maybe you should have raised your hand. You didn't. Just pray this out loud. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins. Today, in front of my friends, in front of my family, I declare you Lord over my life. From this day forward, I choose to serve you. I choose to honor you. And I choose to live for you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Can we make some noise for all those? Welcome home. Welcome to the family.